Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Like a Street Photography Collective. I'm Ricky, and today's guest is Ashley McKibben. I hope I got that right. Uh, once again, thank you for taking the time out of your day to record with me, giving the listeners something to listen to. So please introduce yourself, where you at, where you been, what you do, anything you like the world to know. Yeah, so you're pretty close on the name. It was Ashlyn McKibben. Oh, <laughs> Super close. Fuck. Um, <laughs> okay. Oh, the most common mistake. I did ask no, you you're too good. before we started recording. I told you I said that's okay. That's okay. I give myself. So yeah, but I'm a self-employed, full-time freelancer. All the fun things that you want to call it out mm-hmm. of Miami. Nice. Um, I do this living now, mm-hmm. so I shoot anything from events. I do the weddings. I do the portraits, you know, that entire circus that is Miami. And, um, I really enjoy it, but it gives me the time to be able to kind of do my own thing as far as like travel work. Mm -hmm. So I can, you know, cram a bunch of stuff in one week and then I go off and I can travel and spend as much time as I want on my own, which is great. Um, as far as the freelance life goes, my personal work, kind of ranges from kind of political heavy to, you know, a lot of stuff about identity and healing and things like that. Um, And then I just do a lot of other documentary work as well um, on my own as far as like travel diary stuff. So I've got a, got a lot that I cover. (laughs) We're going to cover it all. I'm writing this all down. I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep up. Uh, but first, are you familiar with, he used to live in Miami, he moved to New York since, but he was, uh, he's, he is, I shouldn't say was, uh, he is a very great photographer, one of a kind eye, and I just love seeing his work. His name is Brian Demby, so Brian, if you're listening, shout out to you. Uh, he used to live in Miami. Yeah. He shot a lot. He did some work for Like a Miami However, he moved to New York and he's uh, doing great things up there. So do you know him? Or have Yeah, you- I am familiar with Brian. Um, so actually, I used to work at Like a Store Miami and okay. I was uh, I was kind of head for a little while of the gallery shows and the exhibitions and stuff. So mm-hmm. I worked on Brian's first exhibition at Leica, which was pretty cool. Nice. Um, no, I'm a super big fan of his work. I think he's, he's amazing. Small world. <laughs> look at that. Go fucking figure. Yeah. Are you a curator of, of works of some sort since you uh, threw that out there? You worked on his exhibition? Yeah, so I did a lot of curational work for like three, four years for Like Us for Miami. So their events, um, you know, they're like artist talks. I did like all of the Zoom talks basically that we did during COVID. Um, you know, the sequencing for the exhibitions, stuff like that. Like I kind of oversaw all of that and like the marketing and mm-hmm whatnot as well you messed up now you're gonna cool. have an influx but of I curation that what I'm was s- that i'm sorry go ahead i didn't mean to interrupt no no you're good no so i mean we we had shows like every every other month really and then covid hit and then there was just nothing but mm-hmm. zoom talks so i do miss doing that um that was the last thing i did before um, I went fully freelance so every now and then you know i miss the the gallery life it was it was fun Okay. It's a cool way to connect with people. I still kind of think Zoom is now the industry standard for everything. 
people got so used to it. Yeah. They started enjoying it so much because all you got to do is just wear like a nice little top and basketball shorts because no one sees what you're wearing below. Don't worry, I am wearing yeah. pants, I promise. Uh, but <laughs> curation, I, I'm going to get into that later. Um, I got so many questions for you. I don't even know where to start. Uh, we will get into like Miami a little later, but I want to talk about you first. So please tell us when you started making photos and when you did begin, what kind of photos you were taking. Yeah, so I started taking photos. I guess when I was about 15, I worked my first summer job to save up for camera. Mm -hmm. Um, I started taking portraits actually. So I've kind of been doing it from the very beginning. Um, I'm a painter as well. So I feel like my transition into photography was basically like, Oh, this is easier to make than painting. It's faster to make, you know, to say exactly what I want to be saying Mm -hmm. than actually sitting down and spending 70 hours on a painting. I can just set it up and snap a photo, you know? Yeah. So, um, I got into portrait photography. I got like really heavy into black and white stuff. My first, I remember in high school was my first project was like kind of like contrasting people. So I worked a lot with like age. I worked with race. I worked with like, I don't know, different like religions and stuff and like people's cultural backgrounds. And, um, I, it was kind of like a visual narrative of comparing different people basically. So I kind of like got into it right from the start, like from the get, I was into portraits. Mm -hmm. Um, and then that kind of translated into me going to college for art. So I have a bachelor's degree in photography and I've just kind of been talking about the the same things for this entire time, but just in different ways, I guess. No worries. So do you shoot with a mono? I don't. I have a Leica Q and I have an SL2. And then I also shoot with some other film cameras. Like I have a Hasselblad 500 okay. CM. And yeah, they're the main guys, I guess, that I shoot with. Is it, is, it's a film Hasselblad? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you still shoot film. All right. We'll get into that later as well. I do. Uh, when did you begin transitioning out of portraits and into your documentary style work? Uh, so I'm only going to use the term street photography in reference to making photos, not in a studio. I know now a lot of people are getting yeah. kind of woke. So they're like, oh, I don't like calling it street photography. However, it's street photography. Uh, so just again, yeah. for the term. Yeah. Uh, street photography is just meant for taking photos outside of a studio. Okay. Yeah. So I started traveling a lot when I was probably 22, 23. I'm almost 27 now. So, you know, I would say right around that time frame when I started really traveling is when uh, my mind got a little bit more open and I started kind of diving a little bit deeper into street photography just because of my environment, like working at Leica, it's so saturated with street photography. Mm -hmm. So I was looking at what other people were doing and I was like, okay, you know, I think that I could do this. Like also, I think I can do this my own way, but it took a lot for me to come around to it. I was really nervous about it. Um, you know, I don't like to overstep other people's like personal space and things like that. So I, I approached it like really sensitively um, but yeah, it, it was probably around 22, 23, but I didn't really get bold with it until recently where I, I didn't really care, you know, what yeah. people 
thought, and, you know, if somebody told me to shoot a lead a photo, I probably would, you know, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I would say for the past couple of years. <laughs> Have you ever had someone approach you and ask you to delete their photo? Yes. <laughs> I, uh, remember I was in New Hampshire and I was on the street and I took a photo of a guy and he walked directly up to me and he almost grabbed my camera and he was like, delete it right now. And I told him, I was like, it's a film camera. Like, I'm yeah. sorry, but I can't. And then he was like, he kind of came around when I told him it was a film camera. Um, you know, and I was like, it's just, you know, it's just a photo. It's fine. And yeah. he moved on with life. But yeah, I've had a, I've had a couple of people where they give you dirty looks or something, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm just, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I walk away. <laughs> really? But, I, I'm, yeah. I'm actually surprised because, you know, there's kind of a stigma where men are the creepy guys for taking people's photos, regardless of it's who it is. But women can always get yeah. away with it. But now it's refreshing to know that women do get approached. And it does happen. Yeah. It does happen. I, I can say I think we have it easier if we're like mm-hmm. photographing like kids or something like that. You yeah. know, like a guy's shooting kids. You're probably going to get some looks. But, you know, if I'm sitting there like mm-hmm. smiling and like waving to a baby or something and I take a photo, like nobody's going to say anything to me. Yeah. <laughs> Which so- is, it's a nice little that we've got. <laughs> That is one of the reasons why I try to, I don't say, I'm I'm not going to say I don't take pictures of children. I try to avoid that kind of confrontational situation as much as possible. So I'm very cognizant of when and where to take pictures of children. Uh, However, if it's outside and they're just playing, being children, I think that's fair enough. And there's nothing creepy about that, but I don't make the creepy rules, so... Uh, whoever is listening, I'll leave that to you. Uh, but what is it about street photography, again, outside of the studio, what is it about street photography that inspires you? Um, in my own personal view on street photography, I think it's really neat because to me, I'm the only one that sees it. You know, so when I capture a moment, I'm the only one that saw that. Mm-hmm. So being able to show that and being able to be like, look at what I saw that maybe even the person next to me didn't see, you know, say I'm on a trip with someone, we're walking down the street or something. They're probably not seeing the same thing that I'm seeing. So I think it's a really cool narrative and looking at other people's work too, being like, wow, they saw that, you know, because I don't think that I'm the most observant person ever, but you know, being able to see what other people are observing and what they're catching in their mind is really, it's really cool. And that's just in general, um, whatever kind of street photography, you know, like even if it's like nature work or travel work, like, you know, your brain saw something different than my brain. And I think that's really neat. No, I I get that 100%. I swear you jumped into my brain slightly for a moment there because (laughs) I've said the same thing many of times with people I spoke to in the past on my podcast. And it's exactly that. Like you said, like you can be walking with somebody. And they don't know what street photography is. And I got my camera. I'm over here making photos. And they're like, what the fuck are you doing? And I'm like, I'm taking pictures. Yeah. And I say, oh, can I see? And then you show them. You're like, when the fuck did that happen? And you're like, oh, just right now. Yeah. So. Yeah. Or you sit and you set up and you wait for something to happen. Like you yeah. wait and you walk. Like you're waiting for someone to walk into your frame or something. Like you're kind of predicting the future a little bit. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I like that. I think it's kind of weird and niche, but it's cool. Have you ever walked with a non-photographer friend and you're fishing a scene and they're kind of just waiting there, pouty or kicking rocks, waiting for you to yeah. to finish and they're giving you the look like, come on, let's go. I want to go shopping. Yeah. Yeah. That fucking <laughs> like, just leave me alone. For sure. I, that's, 
That's why I usually travel alone. Yes. Um, my partner, my partner now is also a photographer, so that's a little bit convenient. Where we both know, like, if one of us stops, we don't have to like sit there and rush them, you know. Mm-hmm. But in the past, yeah, definitely like on trips or like with family and things like that. I'm like, oh wait. Wait, I need to. I need to set this up. I need to do this, you know. And then they're just standing like twenty feet up the road waiting for me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it happens. Okay. But you know, everybody should deal with it. <laughs> yeah. Just leave me here. I'll be here in an hour. You can go shopping. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's it. So, you you mentioned documentary identity style photography. I did see some images of like protesty things on your Instagram feed, which we'll get into later. Um, mm-hmm. But why do you feel it's important to document the streets? Um, I always think about like you know, when you're going through old family photos or just old photos in general, I think it's super interesting to see how much the world changes, you know, like a lot of people, a lot of people do it with New York. You always see like the old photos with the old cars and you know, what happened 50 years ago, you can visually see the change in the world. So I think it is really neat to document. And even like from my own life, if I go back to places that I've already been to, like, oh, wow, this has already changed so much since I've mm-hmm. been here. So I think that I kind of fixate on how things were um, and kind of like the preservation of that. Um, and then also to just like kind of documenting exactly what I saw in that moment kind of goes back to that only that oh, I was the only person that saw it. Um, but kind of my own views changing over time, like how I would photograph something now versus when I was 22 and like, well, I go back to that same place and, you know, take those same photos and you know, how much will they change? But I think it's like a fixation on change that I have um, when it comes to that. All right. Yeah. So you've mentioned a few times already how you saw it, Mm -hmm. how you see things is different from how I see things. We're Mm -hmm. obviously photographers. And if we were to go outside and take a picture of the same tree, it'd be different. So yeah, I would like to know what it is you look for when you set up to take your photo on how you see things. Um, I try to include environment as much as possible. Mm-hmm. So I usually shoot pretty wide when I'm, at least when I'm documenting people, I shoot pretty wide. Um, I really like to give context as much as I can. Yeah. So, you know, the context of the location, are you in a bar? Are you in a restaurant? Are you on the side of the street? You know, are you out in the middle of the woods? Are you in the middle of the city? So I like to give as much context of that person's kind of like existence Mm -hmm. in that moment as possible. Yeah. Have you ever found someone in the woods before? Um, rarely you kind of come across people, but you know, you just kind of keep it moving. (laughs) Those are the people I'm going to avoid. I have photographed a couple of people. Like, um, if I'm hiking and it's a, I don't know. I I remember one time I took a really cool photo with my Hasselblad. Um, and it's a, it's a black and white film photo. And these two guys were basically hiking this massive mountain and they, they had shovels on their backs, like on the back of their packs, which were massive. And they were heading up the mountain. They were going to basically dig a hole to sleep in at the peak. And they were going to set up their tent, like inside of the hole. And I just thought it was the weirdest thing to be hiking up with these like big shovels on their backs. And, um, I took a really cool photo of them because we were almost up at the peak. 
and they were really cool guys. Yeah. So it was, it was, it was a cool, like kind of interaction, but I think, uh, yeah, as far as like in the middle of nowhere, I kind of stay away from them a little bit, yeah. <laughs> but uh, there's been a couple experiences that were cool with that. <laughs> did you stay at the peak of the mountain also? And did they dig a I hole for you? Did. No, I did not. I, I made it up and then I went back down. <laughs> so I did not stay overnight, but Smart. I think the boldness to do it is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. If I was there, I'd probably get eaten by a bear or something. I got the worst luck. Like there's, I mean, it was, there's it was no bears like, here, but I don't know. There'd be a bear if I was there for some reason. It was like 10 degrees. So I, I did not want to sleep up there. <laughs> Even worse. It'd be a polar bear. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> All right. So uh, you like to add context, you like to add environment, but how do you focus on capturing the person? Um, A lot of the times, as far as like my compositions go, I feel like I'm pretty obvious with my my compositions. Almost always, I feel like I'm putting them right in the middle. Mm -hmm. And it's usually kind of like the middle at the bottom. And I don't, I don't really know why, but I kind of don't follow the rule of third thing, whatever, define me for it. But I feel like I try to make them like very obvious, like that's the person Mm -hmm. to focus on. Um, And then, you know, lighting, things like that. If I can, you know, I might talk to the person and tell them like, hey, look towards the light or something like that. Every now and then I'll I'll do something like that. Um, But usually it's a pretty obvious center focused composition for me. Okay. So I'm all about now just throwing the rules of photography out. We don't need those. Uh, (laughs) That being said, the only rules we need, however, you can still make it creative, is just the exposure triangle. So if you want to keep your person in the center, keep them in the center. (laughs) That's what you like. Then by all means, continue doing it. So. How do you think you get your photos to tell the stories and document that person and where you were at? Um, I mean, I definitely think that comes back down to context a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I know recently I was photographing in Guatemala and we were with we we basically stayed on this little island and our Airbnb was a little house and in front of the house, there was like a really big yard area. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the, or at the, in the morning, basically there was a bunch of kids outside playing, they were dancing, they were rehearsing like their, their little dances and, you know, for, for school. And I'm not sure, like it was kind of like a recital that they were practicing for. And, you know, I came up with our camp with my camera and uh, we were talking to the, to the school teacher and stuff like that. And so I was, trying to basically incorporate the background, which was like this crazy lake in front of these volcanoes in the back. And, you know, they all had the traditional garments on, which in the city of Guatemala, kind of in the main area where you've got your big airports, you know, you've got your big city, everything is um, kind of getting a little bit more westernized. So they're dressing more, I want to say they're dressing more American, but essentially they are like, they don't, a lot of people don't wear the traditional dress. So I think if you're in different areas of the world, it's really important to incorporate like what people are wearing, what people are eating, what people are drinking, things like that, um, you know, and how they're interacting with each other. So I always try to give like, as far as context goes, like a foreground that kind of is probably going to be cut off, you know, the subject and then also the context of where they are in the background. And um, I want that to kind of 
I don't know, be like a visual wrap up of like that person's life or like that person's life right now. Yeah. Um, visually, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So you're throwing out a lot of technical, um, I don't want to say, well, it is terms. You're, you're throwing out, is this stuff you learn from school, the bachelor's degree in photography? Um, I would say so. I think that I didn't have as much practice when I was in school. Like, you know, you focus on a lot of lighting techniques, like you take classes in the studio and, you know, you spend hours and hours learning Photoshop and editing and, you know, all of the, I guess like the precursor technicalities versus the actual shooting, I feel like is different. So I guess when I sit down, in my mind, I do like formally critique my work, like as if I was in college, uh, because I think I, I got so used to formally critiquing my own work and, uh, you know, hearing other people call your work trash and, you know, but for years it kind of brings you back to it a little bit when you sit down and you're like, is this photo really worth publishing? Is anyone really going to care about this? Yeah. But I try to let it go a little bit now and I try to be better about it, but I do kind of sit down and critique it technically. Yeah. So that's another big thing. Like, so for me, critiques are a double-sided sword. Now, they are definitely needed because I think they help you improve. Now, you want to get critiqued from someone in the same photography field as you. And what I mean by that is I I shoot street photography and photojournalism now. I'm not going to go ask, no offense to you, but I'm not going to go ask a portrait photographer who spends 18 hours setting up a single light in the right angle at the right yeah. power. And I'm like, Hey, what do you think about this photo? I just took of a stranger in the street. They're like, uh, there's no lighting in the modeling. No, I'm not just not gonna do that. But so this is the other side of the sword is like, it's all about creativity and we have to be creative. We got to create the photos we like. No one told a lot of people told them their photos and their artwork suck, but look at Disney. Like, you know, Van Gogh is a perfect example. When he was alive, he was painting <laughs> all these amazing works of art. Now, considered the, some of the world's greatest paintings. But back then, he sold, yeah. maybe I think it was one photo or something like that. Like, he sold yeah. almost none of his photos that he painted. Or paintings, I should call them. Sorry. Excuse me, artists. Uh, paintings, not photos. He painted. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so, like, look at that. Maybe when I die, yeah. people will look at my work like it's Van Gogh. And I got thousands of photos that the world's never seen. That that happens to photographers. It was I think it was Vivian Meyer, right? That was. nobody really knew she was a photographer until she was dead. Yep. And they scanned all of her negatives, basically. Yeah, they which did. I think is also an interesting conversation on like consent. Like, did she really want that? You know, are we actually honoring her by scanning all of her photos? Are we invading, like, invading her privacy in a way? I don't know, <laughs> but... A different perspective. I think about that. I've never thought of it that way. You're probably yeah. right. Maybe she didn't want those photos to be seen, and that's probably why she never published them. But here comes this yeah. guy, buys a random storage lot, and has all of this yeah. gold worth of photos in there. I just recently spoke to someone uh, on the previous podcast I recorded, which is not up yet. Uh, but he said he doesn't like Vivian Meyer's work. Now I'm not gonna lie; I haven't seen all of her work, but the the photos I had mm-hmm. have seen very uh, amusing to me. I like them. 
Yeah. Yeah. I like her. Um, I don't know. I like her like fly on the wall perspective perspective on everything. She was you know, she seems very, yeah, she seems like a ninja. She was. <laughs> I think that's neat though, because you've got other photographers that, you know, are street photographers and they'll walk right up to you and blow a flash right in your face, you know? So I think it just depends on your style. I think it's cool to have the fly on the wall per- perspective, but that's just me. I like that a little bit better. <laughs> She must have been a really good fly in the wall because she used a TLR. And there is nothing about a TLR that's fly on the wall. Like, cause you yeah, there's it. nothing to freak about it. <laughs> you use a Hasselblad, so you're familiar with how you got to rotate the camera in every little gyroscope to, to get that image lined yeah. up. It's the same concept with a TLR. Um, yeah. So. When, I shoot, when I shoot my Hasselblad I, and I'm doing street stuff, which... Usually when I'm shooting medium format film, it's more of just like a leisurely walk around. And I do like a lot of kind of minimalism with it and like very quiet compositions. And most of the time I'm not shooting people, Mm -hmm. but if I am shooting people, I literally have it like under my armpit, like, and looking down at it. And I just kind of like assume the focus and shoot and I just kind of let it go if it doesn't work out. But I just try to keep it. Yeah. I'm not like sitting there with a big ass hospital, like in somebody's face. I try to keep it a little bit more. I guess Vivian Myers style, but yeah, it's, it's hard to do for sure with film. And it's loud. Like anybody can hear it. It makes the loudest shutter. So Interesting. Yeah. I've, that's the one of the only cameras I have not shot with. Uh, I don't know. I just never really was appealed by Hasselblads. I do have, yeah. I have quite a few different medium format cameras and Hasselblad is not one of them. But anyways, this is not about what cameras I own. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I'm just that's pretty interesting. You gotta, how like they're not that big though, aren't they? Um, it's like this big, like okay. it's a good, it's a good like, box basically. But yeah. they're mine is like very, it's it's long, so I can literally like put it underneath my armpit and like look down at it oh. and then just take it. You got um, a process yeah. that I've never seen before, but you're shooting off the hip zone focused. With a Hasi. Nice. Yeah. Okay. I shoot I shoot off the hip kind of not zone focused, but I shoot like that sometimes if I'm if I'm walking specifically in like a city area. I do it with the queue a lot is really good to, you know, just have it low and kind of out somebody's somebody's looking at me, they're they're looking at my face usually and not like down. Yeah. So if I'm walking I have it kind of low. Um and I think that perspective is also a little bit more interesting to me like kind of like a small like somebody small looking at something and how they would look at a fly on the wall yeah yeah i like that perspective a lot (laughs) i have a pentax 67 with a big ass wooden grip so there's nothing oh yeah nothing secret about walking down the street with that guy because you're gonna see me yeah (laughs) i don't even try um but again, sorry, I got lost on a tangent. How do you stay creative whenever you're out shooting? So I was just having this conversation with somebody the other day. I think the reason why I create so much when I'm traveling versus where I live is also, I don't know how to explain it right, but basically I am a little bit uninspired. I'm the polar opposite of Brian Demby. If you see his like South beach work, you know, he very much creates work like where he lives and he does a brilliant job at it. 
I am not like that at all. So I don't know why I've always struggled with that. Like as far as making documentary work where I live, I do have like a little group of people that I document where I live. But other than that, like the actual environment, I really don't. So I feel like I always have to travel, go somewhere. And I feel like that's what inspires me is like seeing new things or either, um, I don't know, like new places, new people inspire my mind a little bit more to document versus where I live. So I think that's probably like my main inspiration is, you know, where, where can I go next and what's, what's new for me. Okay. So, so you said inspired. Now I would like to know what or who particularly inspires you to continue documenting. Um, I think, well, I have a couple of different things. So I mean, in Miami itself, like the group of people that I photograph, I am kind of immersed in like this underground scene of burlesque dancers and performers and, you know, drag queens and DJs and like all these like underground people that are, um, they're not famous and, but they still like pull these crazy gigs off. And I don't know, it's, it's really cool to see that. And it's a very empowering group of, you know, feminine people that I'm around. So I really like to document them. Um, as far as my other work, um, for a while it was, it started to become about documenting myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started doing like self portraits, which was a new thing for me, but self portraits out in, you know, national parks and hiking and it, it just kind of in the environment that I was putting myself in and, um, kind of showing my, I guess, healing process through a lot of stuff that I went through. So it kind of became like an ongoing marker to set for myself like okay you're going here like how can you kind of show who you are right this minute where you are right this minute yeah. so, so i don't know if that makes sense but no, it, it kind of became the little group of people that i was around here and then it kind of shifted to focusing on myself um you know completely separate from from those things but, yeah <laughs> you mentioned underground dance was one of the yeah. clubs called the birdcage Actually, was that the name of the no, club in the movie? Damn it. I think I said it wrong. Just remember the Robin. No, it's actually like no, no clubs, really. It's, a lot of this stuff happens in like warehouses or people's apartments. Um, it's really, it's really cool. <laughs> and it was kind of an accident. I found somebody on Instagram when I moved down to Miami and I was like, oh, I'd really love to photograph you. I think you're beautiful. You know, like, let's go shoot together. So we just did like a fun shoot in the ocean basically. And from there I became super close friends with her. And then now all of her friends and, you know, everybody that we're surrounded with her are these like beautiful burlesque dancers and Mm -hmm. performers. I don't know. I've just gotten really lucky to be so accepted and, you know, everybody loves like how I document them and, they always say like, wow, you really like, you elevate what we look like. And I'm like, no, you just, I think you really look like this. <laughs> it's cool. So I, I love that environment. That little scene is really neat. <laughs> Speakeasies, little secret hidden doors. Yeah. That's awesome. There is an underground. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're like, well, DM you the <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> so what do you think are some of the benefits documenting these things that no one has access to i just kind of gave the answer Um, i want to know your opinion yeah i mean i think of people like nan golden and i'd love to be her when i grow up Mm -hmm. (laughs) like as far as 
the the work that she was producing at the time she was producing, I think is really is really fascinating. And a lot of people kind of shrug off her work or used to shrug off her work as something that's not art and it's not interesting. And, you know, a lot of people didn't care about it. And sometimes I kind of feel like that. I'm like, nobody really needs to care about it, but maybe in 25 years we'll look back on it and be like, wow, that was actually something really cool that you were living through, something really interesting. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's, it's cool to look back on, you know, maybe in 20, 25 years. Mm-hmm. I think that I was surrounded by really interesting people. <laughs> yeah. In warehouses, dancing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Take us through your time in school. Um, not all of it, but kind of what you think was the importance of it and what you took away most. Yeah. So art school, um, I have mixed opinions. Mm-hmm. I don't think everybody needs art school. Um, I think that it was beneficial for me because I feel like a super hands-on person I, I think that I need to be taught to learn. So I've, I mean, even from when I was really little, I would go and I would take like an art class once a week. And I'm really lucky to have been able to do that. But I would go to a little art studio and, you know, sit down and I'd paint for an hour and they would teach me how to paint and stuff like that. So I did that as a kid too. And translating that into college, you know, the hands-on experience of like really learning to work with light you know my professor he, w- he would never let us use a light meter mm-hmm. he's like you need to learn how to read light with your with your brain basically like I don't ever want to see you pull out a light meter yep. when you're on the street which is because now you know I can look at something I know exactly what I need to expose it by I don't have to sit here and think about it like I just I know you know so learning how to read light learning about other photographers seeing what other photographers were doing in the past and you know, how that translates into what we're looking at now, I think is super important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, my least favorite in school was like photo history because learning all of the little details and everything, I am not the most studious when it comes to memorizing, but I think it really did help me to see, um, you know, the work from the past and really kind of diving deep into that. Yeah. But I think it's important to look at photography because your photography is going to change when you start perceiving other people's work. Yeah. So uh, I think that's super important no matter what. Like even if you're looking at people's Instagrams or people's websites, you know, we can hate social media, social media as much as we want. But at the end of the day, it's just like an open door to what everybody else is creating. And I think that's super beneficial to us to really explore that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I would say that like seeing even what people were making at my age, you know, and how other people were doing other mediums because I was surrounded by painters and sculptors and it was really neat that we might have some of the same conversations um, in our work, but how other people are doing it through different mediums, I think was really interesting. Yeah. So, I, like, I like art school. It was cool. It was, you know, expensive. I'll probably live with that forever, but <laughs> it's just one of those things. If you think it's beneficial to you, yeah. totally do it. But if you are more of a self-taught human being, then, you know, self-teach, <laughs> do it. <laughs> But I think looking at work is most important, no matter if you go to art school or not. Like, you're just going to be immersed into it a lot more if you're in school. Yeah. Fuck you, school loans. That's all I got to say about that. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you mentioned uh, works from the past from really great artists and photographers, I believe. Do you have any 
particular person who inspired and influenced you the most? Um, as far as like influence, like like I said, I really enjoy Nan Golden's work. I really like Lorna Simpson's work as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that portraiture is really fascinating. The self portraiture where she's um, kind of emoting different stories through different images. Um, I really enjoy that. And I think she shot them on large format or medium format film too, which I think is crazy that you can shoot a self portrait like that. But yeah, there's, there's several, several women I look up to in the past <laughs> okay. that were creating work. I think also too, like in the time frame, you know, this is kind of, this is kind of a man's world in photography back then. So um, it is interesting to see those women who were kind of pioneering for their time and nobody thought they were making art because they were women. Mm-hmm. So I think it's cool to see like how for full circle we've come now that it doesn't matter, you know, who's making it as long as it's, you know, appealing in some way, but yeah. I would say those, those people. yeah. Okay. So have you noticed or have you ever felt that your painting has influenced how you take photos? Um, sometimes I like a busy composition in general. I like busy visually. So Mm -hmm. sometimes I'll kind of go fully backwards on it and try to do something a little bit more minimal just to quiet my mind. But I do like busy design work. So my paintings are really heavy with that. Mm -hmm. And then as far as compositions go, like when I, when I said, you know, I try to include the environment, I don't really care what the environment is. If it's really chaotic, a lot of people will like to isolate the subject from the chaos, but I sometimes even like to put them kind of back into it. Um, so I, I do like a busy, a busy moment. I think it's interesting to kind of play with Waldo in an image and yeah. kind of explore it visually what's going on. So, okay. Yeah. So h- how do you continue to learn and educate yourself in an artistic aspect because uh, obviously once you finish with school, uh, mm-hmm. maybe, I don't know, maybe you don't, but maybe you still want to keep learning more and more and more, learn new techniques, whatever it may be, uh, experiment. What what do you do now to continue learning different things? Um, you know, I feel like maybe I've been kind of bad about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think if anything, I just try to explore different ways to shoot. So like I said, the self portraits, I started that, um, a couple years after college. So, you know, I had never really, they, we had to do assignments every now and then where you had to take a photo and it was always my least favorite thing to do. Um, so I try to kind of push myself in that aspect. Um, the other night I, I tried astrophotography for the first time and it didn't go well for me, but that's okay. So I try to just do different things that maybe it's not in my comfort zone and see if I can make something tangible out of it or even, you know, a project and kind of give myself a little mini assignment to work on for a few months. But, um, yeah, as far as technology, I'm kind of an old lady with that. Mm -hmm. I feel like I stay in the same technology for like six years and just because it works for me and I don't expand on it, which is not the best to do in the industry, but that's just kind of where I'm at (laughs) with it. It's a, well, photography is one of those things where you don't really have to, um, go get new technology. Yeah, it's great, but you just don't need to because 
Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like you use film still, obviously, Hasselblad under the arm. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah, that thing's been around for quite some time and still working. For yeah. Old so, tech is cool. Yeah. So you, you mentioned you didn't like to do like the photo submissions for school. Is that correct? Uh, what do you mean? Uh, I guess what I was trying to. So the question I'm trying to build up to is, uh, like critiquing. Have you ever made a photo for like one of those assignments you said you had to do assignments and then something you didn't like so much? Uh, but have you ever done an assignment where you're like, man, this is the photo, the teacher, whoever it is, is going to really love this. I'm like, I put all my effort into taking this one photo and then they give the critique like this is shit. Get this out of here. Has that ever happened? Oh yeah, for sure. So my senior year, we had to do basically a year long project. So, you know, from basically the summer before we started that class, we had to work all through the summer on it. And then we had to write a 20 page paper about it. And, you know, like, I mean, art school's no joke. If you want to do it, get ready. (laughs) No joke. Yeah. You have to write a, you have to write a 20 page paper on this collection that you've made. And, you know, it has to be a lot going into it. So I put myself into it. I was super proud of it. And I felt like no matter what I could do, nobody was on board with it. So it was, you know, it was a long year that last year because a lot of people just were not vibing with the concept, I guess, or I don't even, I don't even remember fully what they hated about it, but um, yeah, it was always me getting just ripped apart and critiqued. So it definitely happened. 20 pages though it sounds like a lot and it is a lot but i guess in the course of a year if you break it down it's really it's doable but do i really Mm want to write 20 pages no i promise that you don't (laughs) i'm gonna take you up on that promise and i'm gonna also say i don't all right Ah, there it is okay now we got a lot of great information from you. Take us how you got led into freelance work. Yeah. So honestly, it's not as glamorous as it sounds to start out with. Uh, basically, one of my clients who became a good friend of mine at Leica is a wedding photographer. And he was like, man, you know, you would do great if you just, you know, you just need the time. Cause he would always reach out to me and be like, Hey, do you, you want to come shoot this with me? Or do you want to shoot this next week? You know, as far as on like behalf of his company and stuff. And I would always be busy. I'd always be working. You know, there would always be something that would kind of hinder me from it. So every now and then he got me on like a couple gigs and I was like, you know, yeah, I miss doing this. Cause I did it a little bit through high school and college, like doing sessions and stuff. And you know, I think it's fun. It's, you know, to me, it's better than going and clocking into a day job, being able to schedule your own work and kind of manage your life a little bit. So finally, I just kind of took the, took the jump in 2021. Um, I did a couple of gigs for him a month, really, like it wasn't a lot. And the rest of the time I spent like Ubering and, you know, doing, you know, little third party things for money. And, I spent a lot of my time painting. I spent a lot of any of my time that I could traveling and shooting. 
but then finally it just started picking up. So word of mouth in Miami is really heavy. Um, and we have a lot of like corporate summits, weddings, events, like it's constant. So once you get that word of mouth in and you know, your name starts floating around a little bit, you can, you can really do a full-time career on it. Now that's all I do for money. So it's pretty, pretty sweet. Well, you're my, (laughs) yeah, it wasn't a, it wasn't as cute, you know, in the beginning, I was literally like doing Uber Eats every day to try to pay my bills. But, you know, that was just like for a couple of months, you have to kind of flex with everything and, you know, substitute where you need and mm-hmm. it worked out fine. Now, now that's, that's it. That's all I do. Yeah. Now you got the Maserati driving down Calle Ocho. Oh, I dropped Miami South. Beach I wish. Yeah, I used to live in um, Fort Lauderdale for my college years briefly, and then I went back to Chicago. But um, yeah, a freelancing sounds very demanding. It is. Do you freelance <laughs> wedding work? Yeah. Oh. So I'll do. I'll do literally everything. Yeah. It's funny because I was really nervous to get into weddings at first. Of, wow, you know, that's so much pressure. You know, you're really documenting someone's biggest, like, biggest day. And, you know, these weddings in Miami, they're so expensive. There's so much that goes into them. So at first I felt like so much pressure. Yeah. But now I guess even looking at my wedding work and my documentary street work, I kind of shoot them the same way, you know? Like I'll kind of twist it a little bit to give that, you know, I know that they want those traditional portraits. I know that they want that, but I'm still going to kind of shoot it in a more documentary style versus like a commercial Mm -hmm. style. So, you know, it might not be everybody's cup of tea, but I really, I really enjoy doing it that way. Cause to me, it's the same thing. You know, you, to me, it's pressure. If you see a moment on the street and you're like, Oh shit, I got to capture that. You know, it's kind of the same thing with the wedding. So I kind of approach it you know, with a documentary mindset and a little bit more creative mindset if I can't. And so my love is fun. It is chaos 24-7, but it's fun. <laughs> no worries. I have noticed that street photography, documentary photographers, photojournalists, whenever they kind of do weddings, they always incorporate that creative style shooting. Mm-hmm. Um I've spoke with a few street photographers who do shoot occasional weddings and they say the same thing and they tell like their customers, like, I'm going to shoot it my way. And they actually say, okay. And then the customer actually likes it. So uh, Mm -hmm. maybe this is a new genre. An approach is street style weddings. I don't know. Maybe they like got together and had a baby and now here we are. Yeah. It's cute. I like it. (laughs) Like a no, Miami. Oh, I'm sorry. Couldn't, what what were you saying? No, I, I can wait. Oh, what did you say? No, I was talking about like a Miami, but you said something before that. No, yeah, I was just saying it's cool. I, I like that people are doing it because I feel like, you know, if you look at, if you just search wedding photography, it's going to be a lot of really similar stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think it's neat to kind of have something different. You know, I see people even like, adding in their point and shoots on top of their wedding photography. And they'll, you know, they'll take some Polaroids or some point and shoots of, um, you know, from on disposable film cameras or something like that. Weddings, like having those weird little things. Like, I think it's fun. Like, I think that we should kind of, you know, break it up a little bit with yeah. things that are a little bit more interesting. Definitely. I'm going to get hate. No worries. <laughs> uh, I do got some, a question for you. Uh, have uh-huh. you ever done the photo with, 
I guess the Bible that the priest reads from with the ring in the middle and the shadows no. the heart. Okay. No. Oh, you stayed away from that one. Have <laughs> I you will ever, were you I will take their rings and I'll put it in like the flowers or something okay. like that. You know, so, I give the mother in law what they want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But not the heart shadow. I won't. That's <laughs> I like the, the most go-to shot. Everybody's got to do that one at least once. But glad you don't. <laughs> uh, next one is, have you ever been shooting a wedding? And this is kind of common. And then someone follows you with their, uh, I'm just going to say iPhone, because iPhone's kind of like the new standard for um, camera mm-hmm. phone photography now. Has anyone ever second shot for you? who's part of the family and is like, I got to get this photo too. So the iPhone thing is its own like pandemic in the event space. It's actually one of my biggest pet peeves because if you pay me and you're hiring me, why are there 10 people in my shot holding their phone up, taking the same photo? Like, I don't know. I have a couple, I have a couple people that I've shot for that. They literally tell them like, put your phones away. I don't want to see a phone because we had it. We hired a photographer, but it's literally like, I, I mean, you have the bride and the groom down the aisle and you've yeah. got people in the aisle, with their phones. Like, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a pandemic. So if you're at wedding, you should put your phones away because photographers hate it. It's aggravating as well. So yeah, hey. it happens every single. Here's a question that's going to plague the rest of mankind. What do people do with these photos? It's similar to, <laughs> Food photography, like people who are not food yeah. photographers, what the fuck do you do with these photos? Yeah, I guess to have them to hold, <laughs> but that would be my only, I don't know, like you post it on Facebook and then that's awesome. Now you, you know, you mm-hmm. wait for the bride and groom to post their photos on Facebook and you're in the photos taking photos. So yeah. to me, it's so good because you could have like that moment where everybody's looking at the bride and groom and it's, you know, it's like all your friends and family, like paying attention to you, engaged with you and mm-hmm. they're documented in your, in your day too. But instead like they're, they've got their phone in front of their face. So yeah. I don't know. I'm very anti weddings and events, any type of event really just put the phone away. Like yeah. if you hire a photographer, put it away. I can enjoy. See. The- <laughs> That's your soft spot. You're getting a little flushed. You're getting aggravated right now. Just talking about it. <laughs> I'm getting heated. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I guess the other the the second part of that was like these people hold on to these photos forever, especially the food, and then they got like millions of photos of shit that they forget what's in their phone, and then they're like, oh, I got to yeah. show you this this picture, and they're there scrolling for like eighteen yeah. hours, like oh, I can't find it. It's because it's hidden in all these uh, latte shots yeah. you took from Starbucks. But every time there's it's always like the- someone taking a picture of something that what the fuck they gonna yeah. do with it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't get it. Yeah. But. No, that it, that's a soft spot for me. <laughs> oh, I could tell you turned red instantly. <laughs> I like tread lightly. Yeah. IPhones. Don't worry. Uh, I've never been given the opportunity to shoot events in such a way, so I'm not familiar with uh, having to tell people to put their iPhones away. Uh, but I'm pretty sure I would also get mad. Oh, that was the other one I was going to ask you is how many side eyes did you give whenever you see these people? Oh, I'm like the queen of resting bitch face. Honestly, I know people know. What I'm like, I know they know what I'm annoying. And I don't know how to like, 
I have to like wear a smile at all times to look friendly. I feel like so. Yeah, I feel like people know. (laughs) So, have you ever had someone really consider what they're about to do next when they saw the RBF? Well, I had a guy recently, I was shooting like a sweet 16 or something. And you know how like the entrance is the most important thing when the girl walks into the room of all the family and stuff like that. The guy actually stood up and he stood directly in front of me. And so I had to tap him on his shoulder and I was like, excuse me, no, (laughs) please move. He he looked at me and just gave me like the dirtiest look ever. And I was like, I'm sorry, but like I'm here for a reason like if i don't get the shot i'm gonna hear about it later yeah. so you gotta move <laughs> but yeah i don't know you just, sometimes you gotta say something yeah but. uh i shot an event for work one day and i don't know how the photos there was a it was probably the most important part of the sessions for the photos i was taking none of them came out they were all out of focus or something happened with my camera that, um, yeah, all, not all of, yeah, it was all of them. The majority of the photos I've taken the evening, cause I took some after that and those were perfect. So I don't, I know it wasn't mm-hmm. me, but something caused my camera to malfunction and none of the photos for this particular part of the event were in focus, uh, to this day. The situation eludes me. I don't know what could happen because I'm very meticulous with the setup because people pay. Yeah. Obviously, you want to give them something that they paid for. Uh, yeah. It was the same thing. I, I even had like the people who hired me told me to put these stanchions up with like, do not cross here unless you're taking photos. And like people right. just disregarded it altogether and they were walking right through it. And I must have killed at least a couple people with the knives I threw with the, the sideways look. Like, you motherfucker. Sorry, that was the first motherfucker <laughs> of the night. Anywho. Uh, but yeah, I feel for you. It sucks. Put your iPhones away. Yeah, no. Yeah, please. <laughs> They're gonna the, Those pictures are going to suck in two years anyways yeah. when our, you know, not resolve them. So just put them away. <laughs> yeah. It's not worth it. <laughs> but or the other thing is, I mean, you did just get paid. So uh, there's that. I mean, like, just be like, yeah. you should write it in your contracts. Like, if people are, are there, I'm just not going to take photos. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, know. It, it's tough. Like, honestly, I give them to them mm-hmm. so they can criticize those people later. You know, yeah. like, if they, especially if it's somebody who's like, hey, put your phones away for my ceremony. You know, I don't want to see it, and then people do it anyways. I go ahead and I turn those photos right into them. Be like, you yep. can handle that. Yep. <laughs> you guys. <laughs> you gotta have the the collection of phones in a jar now. Put your phones in here. That could be, you know, it could be a project. It could actually be a project if people just on their phones during other people's, you know, important, important life days. moments. Oh, that's a good yeah. idea. Who's who's listening yeah. out there that wants to do that? Second shoot a wedding and only yeah. take pictures of people on their phones you hire like an assistant photographer like you actually shoot the wedding but then you tell them like hey only photograph people on their phones not paying attention (laughs) yeah i wonder now i don't know this is just kind of weird and fucked up how i'm thinking but how many people at weddings matched with people on tinder at the wedding oh my god that would be (laughs) the intrusive thoughts yeah. I mean, if you think about it, like the destination weddings and stuff, it has to happen because you don't know anybody else. There. That is true. Yeah. 
Uh, sorry, you're my cousin. We can't match. Sorry. <laughs> Anyways, those are just dumb jokes here. Crickets. Okay. So, uh, before we got deep in the like, com- I mean, the wedding conversation, uh, I was going to ask you your road to Laika, Miami. How did you get that job? Um, also, probably an accident. But <laughs> basically, I graduated from my school, which was New Hampshire Institute of Art. Um, I was deep in winter, which I am not built for whatsoever. Um, and I was like, I have to go back home. I've got to figure out, like, you know, something in Florida. I, I can't take the winter anymore. So I literally just Googled photography jobs, hiring in Miami. And sure enough, like a store Miami came up, um, which I got super lucky that two people were actually leaving the week that I wanted to start. Yeah. So I called them. They, everything worked out. They actually, they flew me down for an interview and I didn't have the job yet, but I didn't renew my lease. And I just decided to start driving to Florida in hopes that I would get the call on the way that I got hired. That's what happened. So I was actually on my way back from New Hampshire. I was driving through New Jersey and I got the call that I was hired. So I started like a week later. So I graduated school, started there and I was there for about four years. So, you know, you go through like the preliminary year where it's just a lot of sales, a lot of back end work and stuff like that. And then, Kind of the next year is where I got to, you know, start playing a little bit creatively, which was cool. Okay. How but, many Noctiluxes yeah. have you touched? That sounds dirty. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean it to make it sound like Plenty. a porno movie. but <laughs> 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 No, they're, they're pretty sexy. That 75 is sexy. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm, I was a, a really big into 85. And then at the time, 90 was the closest until I discovered 75. And I actually think 75 is the sweet spot when it comes to that scope of telephoto-ish kind of lenses. Because it's kind of like just enough. Your brain doesn't even see that. You know, it it does create something that your mind can't even visualize before you take the picture, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Hey, Laika, if you're listening... Uh, I would like you to send me a 75 millimeter Noctilux and uh, play with it for a little <laughs> while. Uh, that's just, you know, hopes and wishes. Uh, hopefully they're listening <laughs> and they do send it to me. You just got to be real nice. I'm, I'm <laughs> the most friendliest person in the world. I have friends worldwide, believe me. Um, so someone's going to listen to me one day and I'm just going to wake up and there's going to be a box on my doorstep. It's gonna say from Leica, and it's gonna be a black paint M10R. And I don't, I don't <laughs> even shoot go. colored. I don't. I just want the camera body, just because it's black paint. That's interesting. So you don't shoot any color whatsoever. Only on film. Nice. Yeah, cool. I, I I fell in love with the mono, and I have no desires to shoot film. Sorry, Phil, I don't have any desires to shoot color on a digital body. All right, cool. I've been on that wave lately, where black and white has been scratching an itch. I'm telling you, if you go down that road, you're not going to stop. But it's It's completely different from converting your photos. I'll tell you that now. Yeah. Yeah, 56,000 shades of gray, I'm just saying. (laughs) Anywho. Uh, 
Now, let's go ahead and get into your social media because you said earlier social media hate, and then we're going to get into that topic after we talk about your socials. So please plug your social media sites, anything you own, Instagram, Vero, which is new and uh, becoming more popular, Instagram, Vero, Twitter, Facebook, websites, anything you own, anything you own and that you would like the world to know. Yeah, no, I mean... I pretty much just use Instagram. I don't think I'm that cool. I don't even know the one that you just said is upcoming. I've never even heard of that. Yes, I'm going to get you on I will now. Um, my handle on pretty much anything is going to be Ashlyn McKibben. So just my first and last name. Yeah. Super simple. Um, Instagram I use the most. And mm-hmm. I've gone down like the TikTok rabbit hole, but that's pretty much not professional whatsoever. Yeah. And then uh, my website is ashlynmckibben.com. And right. I've got much work up on that website but mm-hmm. i like to kind of have it all out there if i want to share it so okay. well it was a little too soon because you said your name was so easy it was so easy i asked you before we started recording how to pronounce it and i still got it wrong so i do apologize for that but so i will I'll put it in the description you yeah. know a little copy paste i i will <laughs> definitely add all of these into the show notes once uh, i upload this uh, but please, oh, and Vero uh, is an algorithm. I'm going to quotation this because I don't know how long it's going to last, but it's an algorithm free communica- community for creatives. So they have oh. uh, every kind of creativity, genre, art that you can think of so far. And it's really cool because it's kind of like the love child between a love triangle of Instagram, Etsy, and Pinterest all together. Like you can do all kinds of cool shit in there. Uh, So it is pretty cool. I like the idea. I like the concept. I don't know why, but I'm just, ever since I developed this love-hate relationship with Instagram, more hate than love, uh, I just kind of don't care about social medias and I I don't post shit as much as I should. Um, but anyways, I'm, I'm hijacking your, your time. So I apologize. Um, but please let's talk about a photo I took. I just, I took from your Instagram that you took, uh, and I'd like to discuss it. So please tell us where you were, where you took it, uh, whatever you remember about it. And did the image come out exactly how you envisioned? This is the one that you emailed me with the flag, right? Yes. Yeah. So that was during the protests of um, George Floyd, that era mm-hmm. um, that happened in 2020. Um, I have a friend who I have been really close with since we are about 15, I guess. He's actually um, running for Congress. He's making big waves. He's the first Gen Z um, possible member of Congress, but he did win his um, preliminary, basically. Um, his name is Maxwell Frost. But he was a big organizer in the protest during this time. And I went up to Orlando and I shot a few of them. But Orlando was kind of the longest standing city to protest. I think that they protested for 79 days straight. Mm-hmm. Um, and pretty much every single one of them were like as big as, you know, those big ones that you were seeing on TV and stuff like that. So the city really rallied. And I think it's, it's really interesting, you know, after 
everything that happened with like Pulse, um, how people in Orlando really, you know, they really rallied for each other no matter what. So yeah, he asked me to come out there and photograph. Um, it has, it was a really interesting experience. I'm not going to lie. It was really scary. Sometimes mm-hmm. there was times where, you know, things were going bad and it was me running with my camera as fast as I could trying to be out of situations that I didn't want to be in. Um, it was scary, but it was something I felt like it was important, you know, and I, I think that those moments should be documented no matter what. Um, and I tried to approach everything with respect. You know, I, I didn't want to have like a ton of people's faces in them because of like the safety issues that were happening around that. But yeah, I, 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 I don't know. It was a, it was an interesting time to be photographing. It was, it was something kind of new to me. I had photographed, um, the original women's March back in, when was that? 2000 and was it 16? Mm-hmm. I don't know that, that year, but when the women's marches were first happening and they got really big, um, I had shot that, but it was a much more peaceful environment than what was going on in the, so I don't remember your original question, but <laughs> I well, went off just, in my mind. It was just my about, the, about the photo you took, but no worries. Uh, like I told you before, or yeah. however you take the conversation is perfectly fine. So you can please, you can continue yeah. about the, the woman protests. Uh, everybody wants to hear. Yeah, so um, I first photographed the Women's March. Um, that was my first kind of... Uh, activist-oriented shoot outside of a studio or a controlled environment. Um, That was way different how I photographed that. So even this image that you're talking about, there's nobody's face in it. You know, it's from behind them, and it it almost gives them no context of their identity, but it gives you context of what they're standing for. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the Women's March, I was documenting these women specifically. So I photographed, you know, a woman who was in her eighties and, you know, her sign said like, I've been doing this shit since, you know, the, the start, like doing this shit since the seventies and things like that. And then there was like little girls, you know, and so photographing, I photographed a lot of little girls and it was like their faces and, you know, it's like them with their little girl power signs and, you know, things like that, where it was directly photographing the people there. Whereas in these protests, I feel like I was documenting kind of like the activity of the day. So like the heat of the day, like what was happening and, you know, this, it has like the flag, it it says um, no justice, no peace written on the flag, like kind of like the destruction of what we were witnessing in our country was more what I was focusing on rather than the people. Mm -hmm. There was a few shots where I photographed the people, but I went up to them and I showed them you know, and I, I got their approval on those main photos where it was, you know, people's face and they were identifiable in it, but kind of a different vibe, like similar thing. They're both protests, but the way I shot them were very, very different. Interesting. But the approach. Okay. Yeah. The approach was completely different. Do you still, yeah. uh, protest hunt to take photos? What is that? Are you still hunting for protest? No. No. No, I wasn't even hunting for this protest. And actually I got a lot of, not hate for it, but a lot of people were very critical of me um, photographing this. So mm-hmm. I don't hunt it out. I don't seek it out. I just happened to be in Boston when the Women's March was happening originally. So I was just kind of like conveniently there. I was mad, you know, I was going anyways. And I was like, fuck it, I'm just going to shoot, 
you know, through all of this and just kind of document it. And I think that that's more beneficial to my mind than, you know, actually the actual act of protesting. It was like documenting it was more important to me. Um, and then this protest, the only reason really I shot it was because I had somebody who was organizing it who really, who asked me to be there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't going to shoot. I honestly, I bringing my camera into those situations, it was like a little bit nerve wracking, but it's important. You know, it's, it's one of those things like we need to look back on it and I don't know, but we need to like look at what we're doing wrong and try to grow from it. And so that's in my mind why it's important for it to be shot. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I did get a lot of criticism because obviously this is, you know, something that's affecting the black community and I'm a white girl out there photographing it. So I never want it to be like, I'm telling like a black person's story or anything like that. But you know, someone who was there organizing it and who is, you know, in the black community asked me to be there and, you know, trusted my, trusted my vision with it. And, you know, he's like, I I really think that you're going to, you're going to be the one that I want to see, like, you know, telling what's going on these days. So I did it, I think for three days I was there. So it was, you know, it was interesting, but I, I tried to do my, my best as far as being respectful of, you know, other people's communities and other people's traumas. Like I'm, I'm not going to sit here and sell prints from it or anything. So yeah, that's kind of, you know, the, the take that I, the stance that I have on it at least. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, do you feel a single photo has the power to change? Mm, uh, I guess I was going to say history, but that's kind of a big one. Um, mm-hmm. Mm, trying to think of something I'm just going to go ahead and say history then Fuck it uh, I was trying to say laws But maybe it can influence it But do you think photography has The power to change history? I think so When you um, I'm not saying like my photos do But I think that when you You know when you're looking at history books Or you're learning about the past photos really help translate what happened, you know, so you can read all day long that, you know, a cop killed a man who was innocent, you know, you can read that all day long, but then you can read, you know, a cop killed a man that was innocent and the entire country rallied behind that. And you can see the visual narrative of like what the entire country looks like, you know, with the streets closed down. Yeah. People were there. People were being destructive, like everything, but at the end of the day, like it was really for a cause and you can see it versus just reading it. I feel like it, it impacts more visually than, yeah. you know, just the state paper, but yeah, not to, to make light of the situation that happened two years ago. It's already been two years. Yeah. Uh, but you know, there was such a impactful, I guess all the pro the protests and all of the, you know, calling out for for change throughout the policing. Yeah. Uh, statistically, and I've seen plenty of videos. I've been overseas for the last 13 years. Uh, but so I've seen mm-hmm. the videos, but I've seen police where they execute people and they just get kind of like a slap on the wrist. They don't do it again, you know. Yeah. But with the, the magnitude of the protest, like, I think this sparked a, a big change for how people are policing. And uh, yeah. so 
there's that. And I don't think it would have been possible if the, the people didn't, I mean, they had video, but videos just, you know, many still photos built in one. So absolutely could change. But yeah, like you said, it, yeah. it proves that it happened. It's a, a time. Yeah. A piece of time. Yeah. Yeah. A piece of time. Yeah. And I mean, it, it makes it more, I guess, like believable too. Um, you know, you really don't, you don't understand the magnitude until you're standing there looking at it. And I, I think that those photos are really important Yeah, to have. You know what else is fucked up were all those cops that were just watching that got exposed yeah. because they were on camera and photos. Yeah. Yep. See, nobody's safe now. The iPhone. Nobody's safe. Those are like those few moments where you have to have the iPhone out. That's that's a moment where you get the pass. Record that shit. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. not at weddings. Just not at weddings. Yeah. No, it is it is a crazy time that we're living in. Yeah. What would you say was the most difficult or challenging experience you've ever faced outside of these protests? The one you outside said you had of the to protest. Run. Yeah, because you said you had to run. Or was that the most? Yeah, I mean, there's times where, you know, police would start tear gassing people and, you know, it, it just becomes like an all out free for all. And it's a really, it's a scary situation, you know, and you don't really know what's going to happen. You don't really know exactly how safe you are because in that, in that moment, really it's you versus them. Mm -hmm. So it is scary. You know, there was times where you would just hear like tear gas exploding and you would hear like the canisters and like things like hitting the ground and stuff like that. And it's like, okay, just at that point, just run. And I don't know. It, it was it was terrifying, but those it's just important work, you know. Yeah. And I think that there's other photographers, you know, to look at that shoot war and things like that. I just don't know how they do it because this was. I mean, it was hard to do, and it is. You know, documenting things like that is really difficult. So. Mm -hmm. Oh, Robert Kappa had a, a perfect saying because he was a war photographer. And yeah. Ah, now I'm going to Google this for really quickly. Um, it's really, it's bothering me because I don't remember it verbatim and I need to. <laughs> Sorry for the people out there having to endure my slow internet. Googling. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm legit Googling right now. <laughs> Yeah, there's photographers like Lindsay Adario is one of them. The stuff that she shoots, I just give her all the props. I can't imagine, can't imagine putting myself through it. Much less like I don't know. It's it's tough to to see those things and yeah. Uh... Ah, here it is. Okay, I found it. Nope, this one's not it. Okay, here it is. I found it now. All right, so. War photographer Robert Kappa said, I hope to stay unemployed as a war photographer till the end of my life. Mm. It's going to fly over some people's heads. Like, Why would you want to be unemployed as a, a photographer? A war photographer. No more wars. Yeah. I have to explain it for those that might not have got it. But anyways, uh, back to you. Um you mentioned COVID earlier in the beginning of the recording, but how did 
it originally affect you and your work? Hmm. So, I mean, it affected my daily job. Like, obviously, that was the time that I was working and doing gallery shows and stuff like that. Um, it shut us down as far as all the fun stuff goes in person. Um, and my entire job shifted to basically just sales. Um, and then I, you know, I, I kind of lost the the passion for it there and I just missed that kind of in-person interaction and whatnot. So I started focusing on my, my own stuff. I was, I was painting a lot more. Um, you know, obviously everybody's in isolation and I say isolation and then you look at this protest work and that was during 2020, but Mm -hmm. you know, at the end of the day, it is what it is. But, um, yeah, I just decided to kind of focus on my own work. I didn't, didn't leave that job until 2021, but I think all of 2020, I just sat there and thought about how I, how I knew I could do it. Um, and how I knew I could just move into that freelance environment. So I, I focused on, um, you know, prepping myself for that, you know, with money and everything. I was, you know, doing my little side hustles and things like that, just trying to like prepare myself to be like, okay, no, now it's time to really focus on my own work and, you know, move out, move out of the nine to five. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause I think it made everybody slow down and really think about what's important, you know? And as bad as it sounds, like, I don't really think your nine to five is that important. I think that, you know, your life in the sense of how you want to live it is more important. We, we have such a short time, you know, to spend here, like work on your own stuff versus work for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of what, where my mind was all of 2020 and it translated into that, you know, in 2021. Okay. So now, because I, I've been to California recently and I can see on the news COVID is pretty much non-existence, non-existent in the U.S. all the way around. Mm-hmm. In every corner there is. So it's like life is back to normal. How mm-hmm. is it transitioning back to a new normal out of COVID? Um, I mean, for me, since I, I lived alone through COVID... So it was interesting because everybody talked about, I guess, how lonely they were. And I was just kind of there, like really, really alone, like the entire time. And I was just like, I don't know, it's kind of nice. And I would go and I would, I would only travel to places that were like, you know, in the middle of nowhere, like nature. I would camp in the car. I would stay in a cabin by myself, things like that. So all my traveling I still did travel yeah. I can get crucified, but you know, at the end of the day, I lived alone. I followed the rules. I did all the stuff. Um, and I just justified it by being in the middle of nowhere, but now like being able to travel and going to places where you can, you know, start connecting with people again. Like I told you this, this last trip I did to Guatemala last month, I wasn't scared to, you know, talk to people and, you know, have interactions with people. Whereas like during COVID era, I would have probably just like kind of kept it moving Mm -hmm. and, um, not interacted as much. So having that interaction back is nice and not being scared that you're going to like overstep or, you know, you're going to get somebody sick. And so I was just like, I was one of those people where I was like, all right, I'll just kind of stay away from people and I'll just live like I assume I have it at all times and just, you know, mind my business and keep it moving. But now having that interaction back with people is super nice. Okay. That's cool. I think the one thing COVID 
kind of just put in everybody's head and I'm guilty for this. I'm not going to lie. And a lot of people might feel the same way. I'm just going to throw this out there. Saying the things people want to say and they think. Mm-hmm. Every time you hear someone you don't know cough and sneeze. Yeah. You give them that look like, oh, shit. Today's the day. Yeah. Today's the day. Yeah. And you instantly <laughs> mask up and move along. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm I'm super glad we're we're out of that period at yeah. least. <laughs> it it was so damn challenging because you couldn't eat food outside of your house. Yeah. Like yeah. I felt so bad for the people who don't know how to cook. Right. Yeah. Like what do you no, do? Nah, they did Uber Eats and I was delivering it. <laughs> you were buying Leica with all that money you were making from Uber Eats. I got it. It was crazy. It was really a crazy time. And like that Instacart, man, people were nuts on that. <laughs> yeah, that was the side hustle for me. I was like, I guess I'll just do this because I don't know. There's nothing else going on. <laughs> yeah. It, so, I mean, I know how to cook. I'm not saying I don't. But I don't like to cook because I don't have... The time. Now, I'm always talking about you you have to find a time to do this. But if, like, people Mm -hmm. really, truly understood, like, how busy my day is, you'd understand, like, fitting 15 minutes to prepare a meal to cook is just not feasible. I would, I have to fit the 15 minutes of ordering takeout just so I could eat, so I could do my homework or whatever it is I'm working on. Because if I cook, it's not... It's not a 20-minute thing. I'm the type of person, if I start cooking, you got to prepare the food, you got to cook the food, you got to eat the food, and then after you do all of that, I can't leave a mess. I have to clean it. And then there I am, two hours later, cleaning the kitchen because you got to clean the walls, you got to clean the stove, and if no one out there does that, you're dirty and you need to do it. Yeah, (laughs) It is. But I have to say, during COVID, like that was the healthiest I had ever been in my life. Like I was the most fit because I had nothing else to really do other than really like work out. Yeah, I was working out. Focusing. Yeah, no, I was just running all the time. But I, I did. I would wake up like really early in the morning and I would run for like five miles, six miles in the morning. And I, you know, I was eating super healthy because I had the time to, you know, focus on that. And I, you know, I'm not gonna lie, I miss that every now and then because. Now I'm just like serial drive through like every, you know, every other day running to gigs. And it's just, you know, Americans were really bad about just having no time to focus on meals and just like eating in the car. That's mm-hmm. absolutely me. So, yeah, yeah, I do. I do that time. I was, I was really healthy during COVID, but mm-hmm. I'm not glad yeah. I was, I was thankful for Uber Eats. <laughs> yeah. I use them all the time. I still use them. Nah, I'm really- like anti Uber I just have to go get it myself. Really? <laughs> I make myself. Yeah. I, used, I used to criticize. I'm not going to lie. I used to criticize the people like, like, don't be lazy. Like, just go out, have it, have a nice meal, enjoy it, sit down and relax. But now, because yeah. like I'm, in, I'm trying to graduate from another school I'm in. I've been doing so many yeah. schools. Uh, I'm like, <laughs> I'm here working 18 hours a day trying to write these yeah. projects. Like that Uber Eats saves me hours, like I said, because I can just eat it, 
and then I can go right back to my homework and I don't have to leave the house. So that's true. Yeah. I hear my mom in my head where she's like, she's like, you're going to pay somebody to do what you can do. That's mm-hmm. what I hear. Yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Job employment. I just, you know, they need money. I'm paying them for their services. So you're boosting the economy. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Okay. Enough Uber eats back to photography. Um, what, where is a place you go to focus on photography? Mm. Um, I spend a lot of time in Colorado and I spend a lot of time like kind of in, in between Arizona and Utah. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like those spaces because I think it really like clears it clears my mind I feel like when you're in Miami and people in Miami is going to understand this there's there's never a moment of silence Mm -hmm. ever like if you're out in public there's no silence no matter where you're at you can't there's no quiet at the beach there's no quiet you know sitting at the coffee shop there's never a quiet moment so I think that I have to kind of take my time and go out and kind of just breathe a little bit so those environments, those, that's kind of the place that I put myself in to hear nothing, think about nothing. And that kind of lets me marinate <laughs> in my mind as far as art goes. Yeah. Okay. So no cafes or anything yeah. like that? You just, you got to be immersed in the environment the whole time? Yeah. I mean, I like, I mean, I like being in my home. I try to create my space to be really, uh, uh, really calming. So I'm really big about like lighting and things like that. I think when you come home from a really long day, I'm just the type of person that I have to like recharge my energy because I I can get overstimulated. I just need that silence, that peace of mind. So even just like having like the candles lit and the salt lamps on, like I just have my little cave where I can come home and I can breathe. Um, That's, that's super important to me. I think quiet, quiet space is good for me. Um, Which is funny because, my partner can never be quiet. She always has music going. She always has something like, she's like, I have to activate my mind at all times, you know, and I, I can't, I'm not like that at all. I'm like, I just want to hear nothing like just yeah. for a few hours. Got to do it. Um, You're coming back home yeah. aggravated after your shoot. Cause all those damn iPhones in the weddings. Oh, tie back. Sorry. <laughs> well, it's so overstimulating. Like it's just, you know, there's so much, there's music, there's people screaming, there's people like, you know, there's just so much going on where my mind is going, um, you know, a hundred miles per hour. And then I come home and I'm like, I want to see nothing and nobody. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. Peace of mind. Okay. So now you're recharged. You're ready to go back out in the street. Take us through your photography process, walking in the street. Not during a protest, because obviously it's different, mm-hmm. but just a normal yeah. day-to-day. I'm walking down. I got my Hasselblad or my Leica, whichever one it is, uh, and you mm-hmm. want to make photos. How do you approach? What's your approach for making um, photos? Lots of people watching, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I'm walking, it's just like kind of just watching the people around me, seeing other people's interactions, what they're talking about. I like to grab expressions. So I know I've got like on my website, if you look under my little travel and street page on my site, I have a lot of stuff from new Orleans there um, because people are so expressive. So 
So I think when you are shooting kind of in a city environment, like grabbing people's expressions and things like that, like, Mm -hmm. and just wondering what they're talking about. um, I think that's, that's my mindset just kind of like being nosy in other people's conversations and um, yeah, like their environment and framing and stuff like that. I I think about that a lot. And I know like uh, there's one shot in new Orleans that I have that, it's just like a man like really small in the frame and it's just like the building is like really big and he's the only thing there and it just seems like super isolated. And I don't know, I just kind of people watch and kind of be nosy into their lives, those little moments. Mm -hmm. Okay. Do you, or have you met a photographer in New Orleans named Matt Seltzer? No. Okay. He's a street portrait photographer in New Orleans and, he is on his way to being the next big thing out there. Have you ever shot a Sunday I line? Shot a what? A Sunday line? Mm-mm. Oh, those are pretty cool. I've never shot it. I've, what is it? I've seen it. It's kind of like every Sunday there's parades. People just start dancing down the street. Oh. Bands okay. and stuff. No, I've been there during um, Southern Decadence is when I go, which is a, it's kind of like the queer Mardi Gras. It gets really wild um, and it's super fun. It was actually one of the first um, pride celebrations prior to Stonewall. So it was uh, one of the oldest prides and, you know, it, it didn't start in a riot or anything like that. It actually is a, it started as a celebration. It still is a celebration. So I like to go there during that time. That time is you know, really interesting and everything is alive and buzzing and it's, it's really cool. But yeah, New Orleans is an interesting place for street photography. You get all kinds of people there. I would like to visit there one day. I have, I've been to New Orleans, but not as a photographer. So yeah, maybe I might get lucky. (laughs) How do you, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I said that's really the place if you want to try some, you know, if you want to, I'd say even like beginning street photographers to start mm-hmm. in New Orleans. That's a really, that's a good place to kind of start it out and try it out. <laughs> okay. So it sounds like you've traveled around quite a, a little bit. So I'm going to get into that in, in a little bit. But how do you block distractions when you're out making photos? Um, I don't, I think... Well, you know how a lot of people walk with like their headphones in? <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't do that. Okay. I think that that's something like, you know, put the phone away, put the music away. And I think it kind of comes back down to being quiet, at least for me. Yep. Um, I see other people who will, you know, the, they are street photographers. They'll walk with their, um, with their headphones in. I think it just depends on the person um, because sometimes people might not think that, you know, that conversation is important, but sometimes like I hear people's conversations and that's what, you know, will spark a photo. Mm -hmm. Um, so you know, that it just depends on the person, but I think like being as quiet as possible and just looking around you and listening around you going on. So, okay. So I did say we were going to get into travel. I guess the next question I would like to ask you is where have you been and where's your favorite place? Oh man. Um, I've been in a lot of places. I travel a lot in the U S but I've been to Guatemala. I've been to basically all the Caribbean islands. I've done Bermuda. I've done Italy. 
been around a little bit. I want to do more international travel for sure. I've been to Mexico. Um, yeah, I've, I've been around, but I, like I said earlier, I really love Colorado and Arizona. Um, but that I think is kind of a lack of culture. <laughs> so it's not something that people would find as interesting, but I do really enjoy nature and the quiet and the peace and things like that. Um, Italy was really cool. Um, as far as the people go and Guatemala has beautiful people as well. Um, as far as interactions and, you know, photographing them went, but I think for my, my own, my own peace of mind, I, I really love Arizona and, uh, like Sedona, the canyons. And I, I don't know, it's just something so beautiful about it and peaceful. And I think it's, it's really interesting, um, as far as the space goes. Interesting. So, I've never... Yeah. I've never been to Arizona. I've been to a lot of places, a lot of states, but Arizona's not one of them. It's pretty cool. I think people in Arizona would beg to differ. I feel like everybody I meet in Arizona, they hate Arizona, but I love it there. I love hiking there and, you know, being out in the middle of nowhere and hearing nothing. (laughs) Yeah. Do they have a lot of those plateau mountains? Big, tall, and then... Yeah, so the canyons, I mean, it's really cool because when you're hiking out there, you know, you hike up and Mm -hmm. you stop and you can pretty much see like a 360 around you of just, you know, wide open space. And it's really beautiful. Like Sedona specifically, it's the the red rocks that are just, it's it's really beautiful. And there's a bunch of, you know, crazy stuff like the energy vortexes there. If you haven't heard about that, like go down that rabbit hole because it's really fascinating. But the the Native American culture is, is pretty pretty charged out there. It's it's really interesting to learn about so and to experience. But yeah, yeah, I like it. Uh, I'm a city boy, and I'm not going to hike any mountains. So I will gladly <laughs> look at your travel photography and say, "Wow, this photo is really nice. I feel like I'm there." Uh, so there's that, <laughs> which I guess put on the big screen. Yeah, that's the purpose of travel <laughs> photography, right? Yeah. <laughs> so where would you like to be one month, one year, 10 years down the line? The time is just an example, but the future is the goal. Uh, you mean like physically, like where do I want to travel to or where do I want to be in life? <laughs> uh, you can answer however you feel. Uh, typically, it's more of like where you would like to take your photography in that time frame. But traveling, again, there's no right or wrong answers. It's just whatever you feel like. Yeah. um, Well, like I said, I was working on a self-portrait project for the past couple of years. um, That has to do with travel. A lot of it is just myself kind of isolated in these strange environments. But I... I would like to take that collection and somehow expand on it, maybe with other women. Um, And I would like to somehow bring it around to finding help for women who go through domestic violence, not to get like a really serious note on this, but I want to expand on that and somehow figure out, you know, how I can partner with other women who've either gone through it, artists who have gone through it, either with, you know, people who provide counseling, things like that, like somehow tie the work into resource, um, I think is really, it's a really interesting 
thing that I think is a possibility. So trying to find resources for survivors and things like that. So I'd like to expand on it one day. Um, I think it's a super hard thing to do on your own. You know, it's like finding somebody who will sponsor you, give you the leg up, you know, finding the right grant for you, finding the right residency or something like that. So, um, you know, there's, it's, it's a process that's, you know, going to take a really long time, but I, I would like to do that one day and try to, you know, offer help or resources to other people who have gone through that. Okay. But that's where that project is. I would hope to be heading one day. Yeah. So I was going to say Leica should have sponsored you a long time ago, but yeah, I heard they don't, yeah, give, out, I wish. I hear they don't <laughs> give out free cameras anymore. I still don't believe that, but uh, everybody says it's true. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. got to ask Jason Momoa. Fuck. Yeah, he gets the free shit and he, he throws that shit on Instagram. So see, I knew it. I knew you were trying to lie to us, Leica. <laughs> black paint M2s, original black paint M2s. That man's tearing. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's tearing <laughs> boxes of M11s up with his big ass fucking hands. And he's like, oh, what do I got in here? And it's a brand new M11. Mm-hmm. I don't care about the M11, but the point is he got a free one. <laughs> yeah. So now I'm curious to know there's got to be some kind of Leica Store Miami secret. What's the secret of Leica Store Miami? You have to share. Oh man, we're we're all like we're really not as cool as you think. Um, everybody drinks probably four coffees a day. Yeah. <laughs> um, we right. everybody runs on coffee there. Um, I think that's the secret. You can go in and you can ask for a a latte if you want, and they'll make you one. Is and it it's super fancy? Yeah, you can even have like the logo on it with the chocolate. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, that's the secret. But yep. no, there's not that. I feel like everybody is pretty down to earth and you can talk to them about anything, anytime. Okay. So (laughs) I spoke with somebody in San Francisco who actually happened to work at like a store, San Francisco, pure coincidence. I don't know. I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm making friends all over the world. I wasn't lying about that, but he said they have a big ass chunk of Leica glass that they use for the lenses. Is there any kind of merchandise? Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, it's just a yeah, so, piece of glass. Yeah, they they do have those sometimes. I've, I've seen them a few times, like, going through, like, training and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that and that we have, like, a couple uh, sensors on display. There's a whole back room of just, like, floating parts <laughs> where you just, everything is miscellaneous. Yeah. Um, nothing goes to anything. You don't really know what anything is and, until you've asked, like, David, who knows everything. But, uh, yeah, there's big, like, floating, I guess, like, parts and things like that. But um, it was cool working there. You know, you could use anything anytime. So kind of exploring different things that would help you make your own work and mm-hmm. stuff like that. It was, it was really cool being able to use everything all the time. Yeah. So. Now I need my own solo show at, like, a store, Miami. There you go. You're the connection. You're the connection. (laughs) Now I'm. I would never use people's friendship for personal gains. Uh, (laughs) mm, You got the projects. Um, Your projects seem cool. Uh, Beside those two, are you working on anything like zines? Something short term? Um. 
you know, I should, but not really. I think a lot of things, I, I think I used to do it in college, you know, it's like you'd work on a project for six months and then you'd never work on it again. Mm-hmm. And I think I've gotten really attached to things that I'm working on. So I don't really see like an end in sight on certain things. I know I can feel myself like slowing down on making that project, which is actually more of a healthy thing for myself because I was creating it in kind of a bad place. So now kind of being out of that bad place, I can feel myself slowing down on that project, but I don't really see like an end, like, okay, I'm going to end this in January of 2023. I don't really see an end to it. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, no, I don't really, I don't really have anything short term. It's everything is kind of long term with me. (laughs) Okay. Is that from school because you had to work on a 20 page project for an entire school year? Did that concept? No, well, maybe. Yeah. Cause I guess the lack of deadline is kind of nice. You know, you don't actually have to turn it in by May 20th. You can, you can take the rest of your life if you want to. So yeah. (laughs) I'm going to shoot this 30 year project with 50,000 photos and only one page of type. I'm really the worst though. Like the, the project has like, I think like 13 images in it and I've worked on it for years. So oh, wow. it's, you know, it's a slow, yeah, it's a slow moving process. <laughs> no worries. But Hey, it just means you're putting out quality work, quality over quantity. Yeah. I hope that's how people take it. <laughs> Would you say it is? So what, what motivates you to continue making photographs? Um, and I guess I just don't see my life without doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. Like I I've done it for so long now that I just can't picture not doing it. So it's just, it's like literally just part of my life. Um, and you know, doing it for work and then doing it for leisure. I, I try to keep it really separate. So I try not to blend work, you know, I, there's a lot of people who will go into working as a freelance photographer and they'll say, well, I've never, I've started this. I've gotten so busy that I never take photos for myself anymore. So I really try to keep that as, um, you know, two separate things. I show up, I work, you know, I, I pay my bills and then I go and I, you know, have my creative, um, time. It's kind of like a therapy to me in a sense. So I just don't really picture my, myself without that. Okay. I like it. Therapy. So say an up and coming photographer approaches you and asks you for advice. What advice would you give them? Um, this actually happens sometimes. I'm working with a girl, not, I don't want to call myself a mentor, Mm -hmm. but she says it. I'm like, okay. But I try to be as helpful as possible. I, can't stand the gatekeeping in this industry. I think it's really aggravating. Um, you know, if somebody wants to know how I did something or wants to know like a good way to start their business or like anything that I can help them with, I want to help them with. So I don't know. I'm anti gatekeeping. I always try to, you know, help people as much as possible, but you know, she's had like questions on like, how do I set my settings up? Like what's a good way to process pictures? Let me, can I watch you edit? You know, there's things like that we've done together that, she has improved her own work because of watching me do it. So I never, I, I try to never look at anybody like up and coming, like, Oh, you don't know. Anything. You're kind of cocky. I don't like any of that. Cause there's a lot of 
older photographers that will look at me and be like, Oh, you're just 26. You know, what do you know about photography? You know, and just because they're in their fifties or sixties, it doesn't mean that you know that you're any better or anything, you know, like if somebody's, you know, has a really like has a love for what they do, then, you know, if I can help them, I'm going to help them. But yeah, yeah, no gatekeeping. Let's let's get rid of it. (laughs) So who's the worst gatekeepers? Uh, oh, you now's know, your chance. I don't Go ahead, let it out. We want to hear. <laughs> I don't want to be that person, <laughs> but you know, there's a lot of older men <laughs> that when they see a younger woman, like kind of either thriving at something or even just enjoying something, they really like to overstep and give their opinion. Mm-hmm. So I found that a lot, where they're like, "Oh, well, back in my day, I used to shoot film," you know, and they think that they're better, and I'm like, "Oh." Shoot film, you know, oh, like, you're hassy. So, like, here you go. Yeah, I'm like, well, <laughs> it's right here, right now, actually. Oh, I thought yeah, that was your purse. So, yeah, the condescending from older people it's gotta stop. You're like, mm-hmm. let's not, let's not do that. But okay. I don't know. It, it does, it does happen. I think a lot to do with age. You know, I understand. I'm young. I'm not saying I know everything. I know I'm, I, you know, I learn from people who are older. Um, I'm close friends with Maggie Stever, and I feel like every conversation I have with her, I learn so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm super grateful for people who, you know, are older than me that are willing to share their wisdom or even just their experiences because yeah. you can learn a lot from it. Um, yeah. If I can be that person to somebody, I would love to. <laughs> I, I'm actually glad you mentioned Maggie Steber because uh, me and her have been planning on having a, a recording ourselves. However, she's super fucking busy. Uh, not in a bad way, you know. Yeah. She's the hard one to yeah, track. She, she is. Uh, but you have to to put that whisper in the ear again because I'm I've been trying to get her on here for quite some time. Uh, we've we've exchanged yeah, no, uh, messages on on Instagram quite a few times. But if you could help that ball get rolling, that'd be awesome. I will. I will. Yes. She she probably just she probably forgot. She's yeah. got so much on her plate, and then I'll I'll say it. She's oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. No, and 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 I'm you know it's not bad. I completely understand. Uh, I just, I like talking to as many people as I can. And she's one of the few people I've been trying to really get on here. I got a, a, a couple other people I'm trying to convince to just go ahead and record with me. But we'll see. Uh, no pressure. This is, like I said, it's all for fun. So if I do, it's, it's yeah. more for my personal gain and the listeners too, obviously, because they want to listen too. But uh, I just like picking yeah. people's brains, especially like really great photographers such as Maggie Stieber. So. Oh. Maggie is one of those people that I I really look up to her because of how she is as far as like what I just mentioned, like being anti gatekeeping. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done, you know, I've done a workshop next to her that the, that the a store did. It was a women's workshop. Um, and it was really, really interesting. She kind of had to sit down with everybody in the workshop and said, what do you feel like is holding you back from being able to do this either full time or being able to like expand your career in photography And almost all the women said, like, they just had a fear of breaking into it. You know, like, they they were scared of how other people would react, how, you know, how people have reacted to them doing it in the past. So, you know, Maggie's, like, a very, she's got a big bucket mentality. And she's like, don't, you know, don't worry about that. Like, you just need to do it. So I like how she's, she's always kind of seeking out, not seeking out, but she's always really open to younger photographers. I remember there was like a 17 year old in the workshop and you know, she kind of took her under her wing and was like, Oh, everything that she's doing is just so amazing. She was super excited about it versus 
being like, oh, well, you know, whatever, you're just young and yeah. you don't really know what you're talking about kind of thing. Like she was really excited to, you know, work next to the 17 year old and, you know, really hear her and listen to her thoughts about the work that she was making. So I really look up to her in, in that regard. So I want to be like, I want to be Maggie Stever when I grow up. <laughs> She's your photography idol. Is it safe to say? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the work that she's done is all, it's really important work. First of all, it's, um, you know, it's documenting several major things happening in the world, which I think is really admirable. And yeah, just her personality and her as a person is, she's just, she's really amazing. So I I hope I can have some type of resemblance to her when I'm older. (laughs) Just put it into work, following her footsteps. Yeah. You can do it. Yeah. So if you could go back to day one when you realized you wanted to be a photographer, what advice would you give yourself? Hmm. That's a good question. That's a hard question, honestly. I guess, I don't know. I think that I, I think I had like a little bit of nervous energy approaching stuff, especially like street photography. So I wish I could tell myself to be a little bit more brave from the get-go and not to hold myself back because I think that that's that's something that I struggled with for a while. Like, I think I could have been actually doing the freelance thing a few years before I started it, you know? I feel like, not that I wasted time, but I think I held myself back. So, you know, just telling my my younger self to not worry as much would probably be my my go-to. Okay. (laughs) Don't worry about it. Just do it. Right. Shoot, shoot, shoot. Don't worry about it. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So now is a part of the podcast where I would like for you to recognize any up and coming artist, photographer, musician, like a store curator, anybody who, who you could think of that deserves recognition that does not get the recognition they deserve. Mouthful, but yeah. Mm. That does not get the recognition. Yeah. Well, there's a couple photographers that I have met and I'm friends with. I can, let me see. I guess I'll pull up their handles. Mm-hmm. Would probably be the best way to do it. So one photographer, I look up to her quite a bit. I think she gets like pretty decent rec- uh, recognition here in Miami and um, kind of internationally as well. But her name is Jade Lilly. So her Instagram is shoot me Jade. And I think her work is absolutely beautiful. She spends a lot of time like focusing on black and like motherhood and femininity and stuff like that. So I really, really love her work. Um, I think, I don't think anybody's doing it like her personally. Mm-hmm. And then another friend of mine who is now in New York and her Instagram is nrg.visuals. She's a portrait photographer as well. Um, I think that her work is really beautiful, the way that she shoots people and she captures a lot of movement with her subjects. And it's kind of more fashion, actually, but the way that she does it is a little bit more, like, I guess, documentary. I don't know how to explain it, but she has really good work. She shoots a lot on film, um, medium format stuff, so... I really like her work as well, but I would say, I would say those two girls, they got it going on. (laughs) Okay. 
I will add them in the show notes and people who are listening can go support them as well. So yeah, yeah. Their work is will not be disappointed. (laughs) Thank you for sharing those people. Um, And then the last question I always ask, uh, thank you, Craig Clark is what does street photography mean to you? Hmm. What does it mean to me? Um, kind of goes back to kind of taking those moments. It kind of gives me like, I almost think of it as like a visual diary of my life, you know? Um, and it's not even my life, it's people's lives, but it's people's lives that have come through basically. So it gives me a visual diary to look at for the rest of my life. So I get to see like all the places that I've gone and all the people that I've encountered and things like that. And I get to look back and appreciate that. Um, and you know, kind of it's selfish, but I get to keep it for my own. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I really, I really love it in that sense. Like being able to just like hold on to it forever is, is one thing um, that I really appreciate street photography for. Okay. Perfect. I always like hearing cause everybody's, yeah view on it is is completely different uh, so once again thank you for sharing like i said that is the yeah. last question i have to ask now however if you have any questions for me please feel free to ask and i will answer the best i can yeah i guess um well i mean you're doing the podcast thing where do you think where do you want the podcast to get with the next I'm gonna, say, couple of years i want to be the next joe rogan I'm just going to throw that out there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Who is the person that you are dying to interview? Joe Meyer. I know that I'm not, you know, most. Okay. Yeah. All right. I, there you go. Oh, that's, that's he was. So f- for the reason behind that is I like, I, there's a lot of people I do want to interview. I, I said interview. I want to have a conversation with and, yeah. uh, I, I do reach out. I reach out to everybody, believe me. Oh, almost everybody. Because there's... Yeah, but anyways, I don't need to get into that. But for for me, when I first started learning what street photography was, I didn't know anybody historical. So I didn't know who Henry mm-hmm. Cartier-Bresson was. I didn't know who Joel Meyerowitz was, Elliot, Elliot Erwitt. Yeah. I didn't know anything. And when I first was introduced to it, I was like, man, these these are amazing. And then I I saw the movie Everybody's Street. So it kind of gave me um, a basis on where to start as far as pioneers of street photography. And Joel Meyeritz was in there. And for some reason, just listening to him talk, I just felt so inspired. And ever since then, I just, you know, his work is, is one of a kind. And I really do appreciate it. And he's just, for me, one of the most inspirational street photographers I've ever uh, had the chance to see their work. I actually have his book right here next to me and there's a little bookshelf I just bought. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Even listening to him talk, because I've I listened to like YouTube videos of like famous photographers. So that's how I learn now. And just listening to him talk, he's just... Very inspirational. There's no other word to say, but great speaker, just all around great person. But I'm trying to, that's who I want to talk to. Yeah, no, he's an interesting guy for sure. I have his book too, somewhere. (laughs) 
on my shelf. <laughs> That's another thing. Photo books yeah. um, are very I feel like everybody needs a photo book collection. There is. And I, just sit down and soak it up. I bought a, a, it's not that big, but I bought a small little bookshelf just to house my photo books. And it's almost full. I might have to buy another one. I got to buy more photo books. What's yes, your, what's you your favorite photo book? Ooh, um, damn. You know, I'd have to literally go to my shelf and probably pull one off and decide on my favorite. Um, you know, I don't think I could choose one. I really don't think I can choose one. <laughs> um, Susan Mizellis has a couple really, really neat ones. Um, yeah, no, I can't choose a favorite photo book. <laughs> I will they, have my, they have my, they have that's too much pressure. Yeah. I no, I have a huge them that's like floor to ceiling. And then I have like, they're all the way across my dresser now. And now they're making their way into being displayed in the living room. Mm. So yeah, there's one that I really love right now that I have been looking at for a couple of years, but Michael Turek has one and it's called Siberia and it's not even really his main work. Um, and I just, I'm really in love with that book. I've got it out. That's a good one too. That's all medium format film. There's there's a couple good ones that I really like, but yeah. Which ones on your do a whole table? segment on photo books? Yeah, we could. There's just so that many. And then, okay, so that one's your favorite one right now. Yeah, <laughs> I think right now, yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> I I buy photo books. I try to buy at least one a month, and yeah, the purpose was to do a deep dive in these to kind of study the photo itself. And I, I don't want to say I've given up, but I haven't done it in a while. So um, right now I got Magnum contact sheets right here, and um, oh, I have that one too. Um, <laughs> Cartier Bresson's photographer, and yeah, there's so much photos in there that I didn't know he took, and that's the beauty. The Magnum of one. That's a really cool one because you get to see kind of before the famous image was taken. I, I love that book. <laughs> so that book, I, I used this reference before and I'm going to say it again, but Magnum was something that I didn't truly understand. Right. Mm-hmm. So when I first started learning what street photography was, again, I didn't know who anybody was. I didn't know the names. Uh, I just knew you were in the streets taking photos when I first started learning. And whenever I would come across a Magnum photo, I would be like, what is this? Like, why is someone just taking a random picture of a road with a hole blown up in it? I didn't understand it. And then now, as I'm actually educating myself in the world of photography... Uh, and especially photojournalism, street photography falls under photojournalism. I understand it. I get it. And now I know why Magnum photos are Magnum photos. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, they're all. I mean, it's just a really impressive community of photographers in general. <laughs> it is. You you really have to understand the direction of the work to appreciate what Magnum photos is. Like if you don't understand it, mm-hmm. like I said, it's just going to be a, it's kind of like if someone goes to uh, 
a photography studio and asks them to, you know, how much do you charge to take our portraits? And they're like, oh, it's $500, but you get this, this, and this. And then that person's like, $500? Mm-hmm. I could take a picture with my iPhone in and print them out for free. Yeah. And then you get hit with that. Yeah, but anybody could take a photo, but not everyone could take a portrait. So, right. yeah, you got to really understand it. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, that's a conversation I think anybody who is freelancing is going to, you know, come in contact with like, well, why is it so expensive or you know, how, how come it takes so long to do this? Or, you know, there's always those questions and it's just like, you know, you have to, first of all, you have to appreciate the person's um, intellect in the industry and like how long they've been doing it and what have, what they've put into it, you know, in their life. And, you know, you have to pay what it's worth at the end of the day. Absolutely. How many times, I'm pretty sure it's countless, but how many times have you ever been tried or someone has tried to shortchange you on doing um, some paid work, whatever it may be. Oh, almost every day, honestly. Almost every day. (laughs) People ask like, well, what if I wanted it for cheaper? And I'm like, well, you're going to have to find either somebody else or like, we'll short time frame on it. But, you know, yeah, it is. I think that's a conversation in its own where people don't really understand like, why it's so expensive when, you know, kind of like the iPhone conversation. Well, you know, I can just send somebody with their phone and they can take pictures the whole time. And I'm like, all right, well do that and see how that works out. You know, it'll be a completely different thing. But yeah, I think when there's, it's such a photo saturated world that we're in and people might not have the appreciation for it Mm -hmm. as far as the paid stuff. What is the most memorable short change someone has ever requested from you. I'll share mine after you share yours. Oh, um, damn. It happens a lot. I, I don't even know if I could, I know it happened to me as a painter a lot. You know, I would have somebody be like, Oh, I really want a painting or, you know, I want it like this, this and this. And so I would kind of give them a quote on it and they're like, Oh, well I thought it was going to be, you know, a hundred dollars and people literally have no concept of either how long it takes, how expensive it is to make. And like, you know, at the end of the day, it's a business and you still have overhead, you know, different things that you need to create that work. And people really don't understand that at all. So I've had someone literally be like, Oh, I just wanted to pay a hundred dollars for a painting. And I'm like, no, it's going to take me like, you know, 60 hours to paint. (laughs) So it's not, it's not going to be justified anything near that. <laughs> yeah, those are the worst kind of people. And because of that, I also know that whenever I ask for um, a price point for somebody else's work or services, I don't argue it. Like, the, the yeah. their price is their price. Now, if I can afford it, I'll gladly play it. If I can't, right. then I'll be like, I can't afford it at this time. Maybe in the future, but I'm not going to sit there and try to negotiate with you trying to give me your 60 hour painting for a hundred bucks. But I know mine was, uh, many years ago I was offering, 
uh, photo shoots at a very cheap, affordable price. I'll just go ahead and say $50. It was $50 actually. But that was the price point where I was like, okay, I'm starting off. I need to learn how to charge and make money. I need to learn how to make it um, a financial... I forgot the word I was going to say. But anyways, I needed, I wanted the, the experience. So uh, one thing I never wanted to shoot, nothing against you, was weddings. I don't like them. Yeah. I don't want to shoot them. I have no desire to do it. And I just don't have the patience. And <laughs> someone uh, contacted me and asked me to shoot an all-day wedding starting from 5 in the morning until whenever it ended which they said would probably probably be after 11 p.m. And I was like, yeah, no, I don't want to shoot it. I'm not interested. And they're like, well, it said you'll shoot anything for $50. And I said, but I'm not going to shoot a wedding for $50. And this person mm-hmm. actually was trying to convince me in a very argutive way to shoot an all-day wedding for 50 bucks. And no, yeah, I did not do it. I had someone recently proposition me for a like a three day gig, mm-hmm. and I quoted them, and I felt exactly what it should have been. I think honestly, industry standard, I probably quoted it pretty low compared yeah. to what other people in Miami would charge for. And they were like, "Oh, well, we didn't think it would be over five hundred dollars." Yeah. And it was for three days, like literally nine a.m. to midnight for three days in a row like not even thinking about how long it would be edited. And then it was basically something that was curated more towards social media. So they're like, we need the photos right away. Like we need them like day, the day after. So I'm like, really, you've got four days of all day, every single day. Like, yeah, $500, that doesn't cut that. <laughs> so You can get yeah, one hour a day for that. Yeah, photographers will charge. I mean, there's people in Miami. I'm I'm not like that, but there's people in Miami who will literally charge you five hundred dollars, and you'll get like ten photos out of a session, and that's like an hour maybe of work. Mm-hmm. So, like, don't be silly. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I don't even I don't even like to hear that when I quote something. They're like, "Well, we wanted to pay." Like, I don't even want to hear about it. Either just say mm-hmm. yes or no. You know. <laughs> That's worse than pulling your iPhone out at a wedding. Put it away. Yeah. Don't want to hear about it. Yeah. The price is the price. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Stingy people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So any other questions for me? I'm not rushing you or trying to cut you off. No. Um, I think this is super cool. I'm, I'm excited to see where, where this podcast goes. And I... Hope you nothing but success from it. Oh, it's cool. And yeah, yeah, it's cool to be a part of. Thank you for thinking that I'm half as interesting to be on here. (laughs) Everybody's interesting. Everybody got a story to tell and I want you to get it out. And none other than the podcast is a perfect way to do so. Uh, You're a photographer. So (laughs) yeah, there's that. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thank you for taking the time out. That's something I, wa- I was going to tell you before we started recording was, uh, for some reason, the female photographers don't like to record. I have I have recorded with female photographers in the past, 
But yeah. the majority of the ones I invite to do a, a recording, uh, they yeah. they politely decline. And that's fine. I'm not going to be that harassing guy. and like, well, if you don't do this, I'm going to stalk you and kill you. Or I'm not going to kill nobody. But, you know, that's, that's, it's just <laughs> yeah. that negative connotation. Like, you know, you can decline. But it's always more typically the females that uh, always decline. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I think that could be, I mean, I don't know what I said earlier about women. I don't want to say women are too scared, but sometimes I think that um, we get criticized a little bit more than say a man would be criticized for either something you'd say or, you know, like I'm kind of past that. I I don't really care. Like however anybody wants to criticize me, feel free. Um, You might be right. But I think that that might be more intimidating for women photographers as well. Like getting themselves out there and like always, I think, I I mean, you can be criticized for anything. So I think that that could also be, it could possibly be a reason as well. I always felt it was more of like anxiety. I don't know why. Yeah. Females tend yeah. to be a little more emotional, not trying to insult females, but yeah. just, you know, statistically, females are a little more emotional than men. And it's kind of like that emotional anxiety or of being nervous. I don't know what to do. I've never spoken. I've never done this. I've never done that. But once you actually start recording and you get comfortable talking about something you love, that's so passionate mm-hmm. like photography, you actually forget you're recording a podcast. Like, did you, yeah. did you re- realize we were recording? I forget. You know? <laughs> like exactly. I, I do feel like just sitting here talking. Yeah. I, I think it could just be the anxiety of it. And like, depending on who you're, who you're asking, if they're maybe newer in the industry or something like that, then maybe they get a little bit more nervous to talk about it. And it does take a lot. Like I think, a lot of people are scared of putting themselves out there and being super, um, you know, to the point on what they're working on. You know, they could be a little bit more, I guess, intimidated to share like super personal stuff or, you know, yeah. that could also be it. Yeah. I'm an open book. You can have. No worries. <laughs> I try not to go too personal. I try to stick along the lines of photography and a little bit to the left and the right. And wherever you take yeah. it, uh, but you know, personal life is your personal life. I, I don't need to to dwell in in that um, realm. But if people want to share, then uh, again, like I said, I'm not going to censor you. Feel free to say such. Yeah. But like I said, thank you. I'm going to get it right before we we close up, Ashlyn. Yeah, got it. That's it. Yeah, I apologize <laughs> for the first one. I I was I felt such. I felt so much like a jerk because I literally just asked you how to pronounce your name, and then I go ahead and introduce you're you good. the wrong name. So I apologize for that. Well, when you read right. it, you read it, your brain goes to Ashley. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I honestly I don't know why I mispronounced it, but maybe. So I do apologize once again. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, all right, everybody. Thank you for listening. Like a Street Photography Collective and Ashlyn McKibben. Got it again. Yeah. All right. Perfect. (laughs) All right. So thank you and have a great day. Oh, wrong one.